He's Achille Nazuri. I'm Reggie Bailey. This is Books of Pop Culture. Achille, how you feeling? Blessed and highly flavored. You know, I'm feeling good. What is the day? I think uh, it's Tuesday. Yeah, it, we're recording on a, on a Tuesday. Yeah, you know, uh, I asked that because I don't have any idea what the day is. <laughs> because I don't go into a brick and mortar building for work anymore. Uh, so, yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think if there's anything going on. Oh, I haven't gotten my copy of the championship edition of uh, NBA 2K23 yet. GameStop, uh, count, your, count your days. I mean, this is getting yeah. ridiculous. I appreciate you giving me uh, the Devin Booker copy, you know, and shout out to Devin Booker for putting Moss Point in the game. I used to do a lot of terrible things in Moss Point uh, with my friends. Shout out to the Co-Squad, um, you know, so love, love. But yeah, I'm doing great. How about you? How about you? Hey man, I'm I'm finally feeling a little normal again, man. I feel like my brain works. You, you know sound saying? like so, your brain works. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> no, nah, it's been it's been a journey, man. It's been a journey, but we back. We back, <laughs> yes. man, and, and hopefully better than ever. Um, yes. Thank you to the fellowship, first and last time viewers, first and last time listeners, and everyone in between, because you can be anywhere in the world right now, but you're here with us. We do not take that lightly, so. Thank you, truly. Um, there are a lot of different places you can, you know, uh, hear us, especially in, in there's also a place where you can see us, right? Like YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many other places. And on those places, you can do things that we really like, like subscribe, follow, like, comment, download. You can leave reviews. And one thing that you can really do that's cool is you can share with your friends, family, physical, and digital communities, right? Mm-hmm. And you may have noticed... When I shouted out the people listening or watching, I shout out the fellowship first. And that's because the fellowship is Books of Pop Culture's amazing Patreon community. It's one that Achille and I biasly and objectively believe is the best in bookish communities. Um, by choosing to join the fellowship, you support BAPC, which is the most dynamic of duos in the bookish landscape, and you receive access to bonus BAPC content every month. Um, and you get us one step closer to doing books about culture for a living. You can support BAPC by going to patreon.com slash books of pop culture. Um, Kelly, we have a very, very special guest today. This is a highly anticipated episode, man. Yes, I was just about to post. It's, it's about to be one of them ones. Yeah, man. Yeah, definitely. This Today's guest is a graduate of NYU's MFA program, a public school teacher in Brooklyn whose work has appeared in the Sawana Review and Granta. He was also named a fellow at the Center for Fiction in 2018. Today, we will be speaking to Sadiq Fofana, who is the author of an amazing uh, short story collection called Stories from Tens Downstairs, which is his debut story collection. And we'll speak to him about this after this quick break. So, Sadiq, you know, we we know, you know, from your bio, from even lightweight research that you're a public school teacher, right? But mm. now you're not just like the everyday public school teacher. Like now you could like, you might just, you know, they might come into like your, your classroom one day. You might just have something sitting on your desk. You know, you might just have this. <laughs> Just sitting on your desk, right? And uh, you know, you you could be like, "Hey, look, you know, 
I'm I'm an author, and and this is you know what 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 subjects do you teach? So I should ask that because just because you're oh, writing uh, yeah, English, English language arts, and <laughs> now they got the new AP se seminar and research. So I teach research classes. Yeah, got you. Okay, so okay. so you might you know one day you might just feel like, hey, look, I got a subject for y'all today, and it's about to be <laughs> downstairs. Yeah, right? yeah, so, yeah. So <laughs> I am. I am curious, like, do you have a little more, like, cred, like, just with your students since, you know, they can go to the store, buy your book, you know, they might go to the library, see a book on the shelf. Is that, like, you got a little more cachet, or is it just... Great question. Um, I would say yes and no, you know? Okay. Yes, and, like, the fact that students are mischievous. They'll just Google you for no reason. And I yeah. before this book, there was just, like, one measly picture of me I was 23 at a house party and everybody was drinking and I, I wasn't drinking. So I made a joke and I like did a toast with uh, laundry detergent. So there's a picture of me with 23 years old toasting to beers with laundry detergent. And that was the picture for years. My students would be like, ah, you can be touched. <laughs> we got you. <laughs> um, but now, you know, when they Google me, you know, just the other day, a student was like, do you know anything about stories from the tenants downstairs? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, OK, yeah. <laughs> but then I also say no, because it's like, you know, the school world in the building is just like a totally different universe where, you know, not much matters, you know, you come in and at the end of the day, I'm, I'm Mr. Fofana and, yeah. um, you know, that that ex that excitement, if anything, they're excited about it might be something we're studying in class and whatnot. Um, I find that students in general, high schoolers, kids, they don't realize that you're a real adult until like you're a junior or senior until they're like a junior or senior. Mm. Like freshmen and sophomores just think that you like live at the school. <laughs> so yeah. that's that's so real. So it's like <laughs> no, I, the only reason I, I kind of jumped in because like I remember it used to be the strangest occurrence to me when I saw teachers like not in school. Like when I seen them like at the grocery store or something, or if I seen them like when I was yeah. going, I'm trying to think, I can't even think of like a like the actual setting where I saw teachers. As a matter of fact, I remember mm -hmm. when I used to play ball, um, when I lived in Germany. And we used to go to the gym and like play ball or whatever. I think I remember seeing a teacher at a gym one time. I was like, like, what are you doing here? And it's like, <laughs> and it's funny to even like think of that because like, you know, they gotta take care of themselves. Like, how else they gonna, you know, whatever. But it, it's it is funny you say that because I just I used to think it was the strangest thing when I was a kid seeing teachers doing like anything other than teach students. Yo. <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, it's weird here. Uh because the city is so segregated, right? Mm -hmm. So when I, when I was teaching, I knew when I would go shopping, I wouldn't run into my students because I taught at the predominantly black school which mm -hmm. is down the road. Mm -hmm. and they have they have a Walmart and there's a Walmart out here, right? Mm -hmm. um, but when I was when I was, you know, in ninth and tenth, since I come from a city that, that's so segregated too, we always saw our teachers everywhere because wow. we went to a black school. Mm -hmm. And they went to the black Walmart and so on and so forth, you know. Yeah, so that's an interesting thing. Yeah. Yo, the dynamics change and like depending on the community, you know. Um Word. so no, I I hear you. I remember, you know, when I was moving into Crown Heights, 
and Crown Heights was like, was hood, but it's gentrifying, you know? And so I come in there as a teacher and I like get it, an idea in my head to like go jogging at like 8 p.m., 9 p.m. And one of my students, I see one of my students, he was like, Mr. Fafada, you live here? <laughs> he was like, let me tell you something about this neighborhood. Don't go out jogging at 8 p.m. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that is hilarious. Because <laughs> I can see it. That's yeah, a scene. Yeah. Okay, that's a scene from this from this collection too. All right, kids, I can see that going down these pages. Yeah, yeah. The first question we like to ask is, "How are you doing genuinely?" Mm. And by and by genuinely, uh, we mean like if you got trapped gas, let us know. If it's if it's really hot there. You know, if my very small short locks are intimidating, like, let <laughs> us know. Like, how are you doing genuinely? Um, you know, on a scale of one to ten, ten being the happiness scale, happiest, and and one being like the most depressed ever. I'm like at a seven. I'm at a seven, seven point five. Um, yeah. inching up to an eight because I'm, you know, again, super pumped for this for this conversation. Um. And, you know, I think it's just the life of a regular human, also life of a teacher. You know, I, I just came from work maybe like an hour ago. Um, I'm in my son's room, no AC, it's dirty. Like, yeah. I want to be like, cut, cut, let me go get my son. Go clean up your room Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. doing this podcast. Um, but, um, you know, I think generally in life, I'm like, at a like six seven like i'm not one of those super happy people um you know i get i get sad um every now and then and whatnot but i'm not a super definitely not a super happy person um but um just just maintaining um as opposed to like five minutes ago i could hear hear my thoughts like five minutes before this started i was like okay i let me be on time i was like let me be on time and so I, 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 you know, I had a tie on and whatnot, and I was just like, I'm just gonna wear a t-shirt, you know, just wear my bean bean hat, and um, and I was like, let me get set up because you know, as soon as I click that link, I want to be there there on time. I go to my iPad, iPad out of battery, <laughs> so 754 yep. out of battery. So I'm plugging yes. it in, and I'm like, yo, please turn on, <laughs> please turn on before eight. Um, and like literally 759, it turned on and I, I clicked the link and I think I got here a couple of minutes later. I was like, here at like 802, but I thought yeah. it was like, I thought I was gonna have to send that, send that emergency email. Like, yo, give me 10 minutes while this charges. <laughs> um, nah, nah, it's, it's all good, man. I mean, my, my phone, had actually died like probably like what, 20 or so minutes for the show started. Yeah. So I, you know. I got another quick question. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm a fan, fan of the book, Isata. Uh, she wanted me to ask, um, are you of Sierra Leonean, West African, or Mandingo? Yes. Which, which one is it? Yeah, Sierra Leonean. Yeah. That uh, name. So I looked up my last name. Last name is like a popular West West African name. Mm -hmm. um, Sierra Leone is like 17th most popular. So the American equivalent would be like Taylor. Taylor's the 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 seventeenth popular, most popular last name in in the United States. Um, 
my parents are both Sierra Leonean. They were born in Freetown and they came to the United States in 1976. Love I was that. born in Houston, Texas in 1983. Um, and I only lived there for like, I lived there for like 12 months. And then, <laughs> yeah, so I can't really wreck the, the dirty south. <laughs> <can't, can't>. um, <laughs> and so, you know, I moved to, I moved to Boston, you know, right after my first, first year of life. And, you know, I, I lived in Boston until like 2001 and been in New York ever since. So yes, representing the uh, Sierra Leonean culture, Joloff Rice, you yeah. know, in the building. Yeah, <laughs> she's yeah. gonna love that. She she made yeah. she made sure I remember to ask. She told me to ask twice today, so I wanted to make sure I got that out. That's what's up. Nah, shout out to Isidor, man. She yes. she is dope and just uh just really valuable. I feel like because she actually just lets us know what she thinks, man. If people yeah. don't if you don't realize how far that that. Even like a sentence of feedback will take you, man. So yes, I'm yes. really appreciative of her. Um, my my favorite question, man, because I just love how y'all like approach it and just the different lessons learned, right? Um, what is the most important lesson or lessons that you've learned about the business of writing? Mm. Whew. <laughs> All right, <laughs> let's dive in. <laughs> so I find that like there's like writing can go into two categories. There's like writing the craft and then writing the job. And I feel like writing the craft is if you got a laptop piece of paper and you start typing, you're a writer. It doesn't matter if you publish the word. It doesn't matter if you publish 50 books. Um, when I sit down to write tomorrow, and if anybody else in the world sits down to write, we are all doing the same craft. We are artists. And then there's the writer of the job, which becomes interesting. And that's when, you know, you start to get a little bit of monetary benefit from what you do. And there's several avenues of of um income that you could get as a writer um and for those aspiring writers i'll just try to break it down and those of you are who are already established writers you know not being patronizing because you probably know this already but um you know you could get you can get money through the first way is like if you publish a book you get an advance they give you money up front just like a rapper it's just like a record deal it's straight up like that you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um you get an advance um, another way to make money off of writing is if you sell enough copies to earn out your advance, then you get paid royalties mm -hmm. per book. That's when like every time somebody buys a book, there's a little bit more money in your pocket. Um, there's also, uh, the foreign deal. So when you get a book deal, it's the, uh, you know, it's just for the United States. You know, mm -hmm. but if you're lucky enough, if you insert name of any big time writer, you know, Jasmine Ward, um, Lauren Groff, um, then other countries start hitting you up. Like we want to publish in your country, in our country, we want to publish you in our country. So like you might get a Spanish deal, an Italy deal and whatnot. It may not be as big as the um, as the United States deal, but, you know, a little bit adds up. Um, 
Another way you can make write, uh, money writing is, um, you know, people start hitting you up to do essays, like to do uh, a book review or they, uh, you know, a personal essay and they'll, and they'll pay you for that. Um, there's editor work. You know, people will just people will just pay you to just say, if you see a good story out there, send it to us. Um, yeah. Judging contests. I think the most exciting part about writing the job it's not getting paid to write. It's getting paid to read, yo. Like, <laughs> judging contests. If you're a contest judge from all the way from Pulitzer Prize to, like, a Lit Mag um, contest, they'll pay you for that. They'll pay you for that. Um, speaking, the, people might invite you to a college, you know? And this goes for podcasters, too. I'm sure if y'all haven't already been hit up, it's going to happen where they're going to want you to represent for the podcast, speak at some kind of event, you know, literary event. And they'll, you know, they'll give you a little nice honorarium there. Um, and so there's speaking, there's, there's reading, um, reading at colleges, um, mm. teaching. People will be like, teach a semester here. People will be like, um, teach the summer workshop fun you might even get a gig like um brandon taylor where you get to teach in paris they'll pay you for that all that is to say you got all that and i said several things yeah does yeah. it add up to a living most mm -hmm. of the times no most of the times no. <laughs> i like to think of writing as like you got two options you could you could starve and be free or you could be confined and eat steak so if you're like i would totally want to live off writing you can do that but you probably will be like barely making it like if i quit my job right now i gotta pay for health care you know mm -hmm. um so it's, it, it wouldn't it, you know i might be able to make it make it by um but probably not after a few years oh yeah and but if you're like okay I want to work full time and then take these blessings as they come. Then every now and then, you know, you can you can order a filet mignon, and, you know, and just, and just mm -hmm. chill, you know. Yeah. Um, and so that's the business. But the the business of it is like it's a beware because once you put your name out there, once your once your work is out there, you become a mini brand. Meaning, like some people might hit you up just because they want to see your like name somewhere and it might like attract you know if you like if kiesa is at a at a, an event like i'm gonna be there i'm gonna be there you know yeah, yeah. um and so like as a writer and i think a lot of these writers who are, who are high profile do a good job of this of like they'll be like yo okay i'm writing now i'm writing now and it might come off is standoffish but you know if you take a step back and understand then you're like okay because you really once your name is a, a certain brand you can literally book an event every single or every single day you could do you could go somewhere every single day and just get paid um yeah you could write a first draft of something that you're not all too confident in but somebody will publish it. 
because your name holds a certain weight. And so a lot of high-profile writers do a good job of being like, you know what, I'm going to publish when I'm ready. I'm going to do events when I'm, I'm ready. Um, you know, I'm taking that six months off and I'm going to write. And I think that's important to like yeah. always when the writing the job comes in to be able to still preserve writing the craft. So that's that. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you based off all this too, right. We had Layla Motley on, um, you know, a couple of weeks back. And one thing that she said that was like profound is like the difference between being an author and being a writer. Right. And it kind of goes into what you're saying mm. because when you're an author, mm. Now you're also like a salesperson, you know, mm -hmm. now you are mm -hmm. like the, uh, you know, you you become an editor of sorts, right? For your own book, right? Because you want to make sure it goes as many places as it can go. And you also even kind of like, I guess, perk up, if you will, because a lot of writers, of course, as we know, are like introverted and, you know, this and that. You even wrote an essay about, you know, just overcoming shyness, you know, for Lib too. Um, so I just wanted to ask, like, how has it been, like, being an author along with being a writer? Mm. It's really weird. It's really weird. Some things have kind of prepared me for it. And in some ways, I'm totally unprepared for it. You know, I could take it back to... Um, Goodreads accounts from from years ago because you know we've connected through through good we Goodreads for like a little while yeah. and I'm the type of person who I have a Facebook account I have Twitter but I'm not on it you know I yeah. don't have an Instagram no TikTok it just gives me anxiety and it's not it's the the anxiety that it gives me is like like when people are super popular on these um on these platforms it's so cool like i can look at roxanne gay and like i follow her tweets and everything and i'm like that's so cool she knows how to handle it um but for me that that whole aspect of like you could be reached you could be touched you know like for for better or for worse um people could say things that and they have the nicest intention but it could be draining they could be microaggressive in a way that you can't call out because then you'd be crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so um, I remember, Reggie, you like reached out to me years ago on a very simple question like, you know, what books do you like? You know, and it was super <laughs> cool. And I was, but at the same time, I was so anxious, like where I was like, oh, I'm, oh, I'm not going to turn this account into like a, a, a social media. And like either, I don't remember either. I like never responded or like I responded super late, but I remember following, you know, I, I get that your emails, like the, every time, you know, you review a book and it was so cool that you reached out. Um, but at the same time, I was just flushed with, with just anxiety. Um, yeah. and, and maybe it's just a, a, a chemical makeup. I'm super, super shy. Um, the way I could be like animated here is um, one it's exciting to just talk about books. And then I think my profession as a teacher has like taught me how to just, you know, public speak and emote and yeah. um, 
you know, to, to speak with feeling a little bit. Um, and so that, that has, uh, that has prepared me, um, for that. But as far as like, um, you know, anytime someone, uh, stops me and it hasn't been that many people, you know, it's, it's just like, I always assume like, Oh, I know you too. And like, I forgot, I forgot who you were. And then I get this like really like, rush and be like oh this person could be just introducing themselves to me for the for the first time um yeah books are, book fame and like again this book has been out for a month and like i i wouldn't define what has happened as fame in no stretch you know like <laughs> i would say someone like zadie smith is famous but book fame is so strange yeah because yes. books are so silent and people consume them in silence. Uh-huh. And if they know you, they don't know your voice. They don't know your moving image. They know your byline. And if you're lucky, they know the little photo in the back. Yeah, yeah. So I could be in the world at large, nobody knows who I am. You know, I had this, like, I knew in my head this was going to be, like, what it was. Like, you know, but sometimes as an author in, in your heart, you're just like, hmm, what if after this book, I walked into the room and everyone turned around? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not even in my old school. There's, there's four different schools in my building. And I was like, maybe somebody from the other school might recognize me. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. And it's even in spaces like a bookstore. Like, I'm like, okay, bookstores are full of readers. I'll walk in the bookstore and maybe somebody might be like, hey, you look familiar. No. <laughs> I was in the strand earlier today. I was in the strand earlier today just being just uh, being in there and like, not. <laughs> no. So it's like a very like silent thing. Um, but then when people like record, uh, like come to you at a reading, you know, that, that feels good. Um, but yeah it's uh it's still it's still very um hard to to um to deal with because you got every time you got to psych yourself up to be public and 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 whatnot but um it's a blessing for those who want to live a life of quiet fame write a book Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) lesson learned can you provide your synopsis or your elevator pitch on what Stories from Tennis Downstairs is about and let us know the inspiration behind it? Oh, sure. Um, it's eight stories that all take place in a fictional high rise in Harlem. Each story is from the perspective of a tenant Looming over them is the specter of gentrification, but the individual stories don't necessarily deal with gentrification head on. It's just residents talking about a climactic moment in their life. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, they're linked characters like know each other, peer in other stories and whatnot. And it's told in a kind of a dialect voice. Um, and I've al- always been inspired by um, 
dialogue, the the oral tradition, um, and always been um, inspired by the idea of gentrification over the last 20 years. I come from a neighborhood in Boston, Roxbury. It's where, uh, you know, New Edition, the group New Edition grew up. Um, Malcolm X's house is like, you know, a 10 minute walk from my house. Um, you know, um, Donna Summer and for a while. And, and this, is, this is what I love about virtual events because it's the opportunity to like share some like show and tell. So I brought a show and tell like thing. I hope it's in this. I, I like stuffed a bunch of stuff in here um, to show to show you. Hopefully in here. Oh, here it is. Picture. So I'm about to show y'all. Um, I, I grew up in a three-family house that my parents purchased in 1989. And yeah. I'm about to show you what the joint looked like when they purchased it, right? All right? Yeah. That. That's what it looked like. It, wow. It, it was, yeah. This, the, um, okay. So, like, the, all right. This house right here. That's yeah. my yeah. house. And so the government, like the city of Boston had this whole program because nobody wanted to live in those houses. They were completely abandoned. They had a program that if you just put down $500, they'll fix it up for you. Like, nobody wanted to live there. Nobody. And so my parents scraped that $500 and <laughs> they bought that. Yeah. Like people thought it was crazy. My dad like met made the um the Boston Herald. They like, you know, this is one of the people who participated in this program. And over the years, you know, if, if you did a Google Maps to like my neighborhood now, you wouldn't even believe it's this this picture. You know, so I've yeah. always been fascinated about how neighborhoods change, um, you know, how they're constantly in flux. And when I moved to Harlem, two thousand. 2005 after um college it was the same thing you know yeah um the first my, my friends and i we did, rented a four bedroom apartment it was 2200 dollars mm. um and i remember my first rent in new york was like 500 something dollars yeah 2200 won't even get you <laughs> i don't even know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the game anymore um nah. and so i've Bro. always been fascinated with that and how residents deal with it and then also how they deal with their their own lives um and so that was the inspiration behind that 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 collection yeah yeah no nah, thank you for that answer and this and it's crazy that you mentioned like just the rent prices too because mm -hmm. uh, my girlfriend kathea she recently um you know was looking at youtube and she looks at like interior design and just like you know basically like her own version of like hgtv but like mm -hmm. a youtube variety right mm -hmm. and she was showing me this this clip from this channel and like this this guy was in this um this this woman's apartment and it, it has like over like a million views i have to like put a link in the show notes or something but like it's like a walk-in closet and she pays 650 dollars yeah. a month mm. And, and literally, like, when I tell you, I'm not even gassing. Like, so so she can go upstairs, right? And 
like all that's upstairs is her bed. And then when she lays on the bed, because they had a camera up there, it's like what, like this much space. Like think of one of my shelves behind me. Imagine like you laying right here, and then this is like the roof wow. of the room. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like it is it is absolutely crazy. Like like six hundred and fifty, you know, that ain't uh, look, I, I ain't just dropping six fifty for anything, right? I, I can't speak to anybody else in here, but I can tell you I'm not, right? Like if I'm putting yeah. six fifty into something every month, that shit means something to me, right? Yeah. And it's crazy like how little six fifty gets you in New York City. Oh yeah, I don't, yeah, it's it's, mm. it's bananas, and and you know that that whole uh, the 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 whole combination of gentrification and inflation, you know, it's so it's so sneaky, you know. Like I, we went to go get like a little meal the other day, right? The meal usually costs like eight something. That sucker was fifteen ninety nine, and I was like, yo, I was like, yo, that's that's not. I, I just was here last week, you know what I'm saying? I was like, that's not it. I was like, did you put two on now? <laughs> I was like, you put two on now? They was like, nah. And they didn't even realize that it kind of had that the, the switch had gotten flipped, you know? Um, they was like, dang, yeah, it went up. That's wild. That's wild, right? And, you know, you know, my students work in there, so, you know, I got extra. I got my money's worth. But, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, yeah, it's sneaky. It's sneaky. It, go, it goes up, and it's like, you know, even during the pandemic, it was like, the prices just shot up at yeah. some point. Um, yeah. And, you know, this lo- location and just how people view space just changes. Like, I re- remember growing up and being like, downtown Boston seemed like so far away. Mm-hmm. I just remember just being like, it's just like another world. But then the last couple of times I went home, I was like, yo. I literally could walk there. Like I there it's literally two stops away. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that perception has just made the 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 prices shot up. I remember one of my my um my students lived in a in, in a high rise and he was like, We got these new neighbors and their apartment is nice. <laughs> and he had this like <laughs> he had this whole thing like I didn't even know my apartment could look like this. <laughs> You know, um, yeah, it, it's crazy, yo. Just how things just switch, switch. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. And um, you know, going going into the book now, right? Like, it, mm-hmm. it's interesting because I usually ask about you know the epigraph here or whatever, right? And I notice, you know, your your book starts with a poem, right? But the trick is. I realized you actually were laying a verse there. And the reason why I know you're laying a verse is because I listen to it as well. You know, I do a combination of audio and, and physical, right, to do the show. And I was like, oh, this reads like a poem if you don't, like, do the audio book. But you really laid a verse, you know? And I wanted you to talk about, like, the decision to, like, lay a verse, like, as your epigraph, I, I guess. Um, and I'm also curious too if like good times play like an inspiration on that because you know you're you're you know I thought about like temporary layoffs I thought about all that yeah. like when I read it right um, and I'm just curious about the decision to lay a verse as your epigraph as well as like the inspiration uh, behind it. Yo, 
So this is what I love about podcasts of color. Because before <laughs> this, it'd be like, every time it'd be like, can you tell me about the poem that you started <laughs> off with? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and my man was like, yo, this is a verse. And so, <laughs> usually, usually I, it goes like, tell me about the poem. And I'm like, um, yeah, it's, you know, I'm glad it reads as a poem, but it's really a hip hop verse. And, <laughs> um, you know, and I'm like, yeah. basically, before I ever started writing fiction, I was just basically a rapper, you know. I'm a, I'm a failed rapper is what I'm saying. I'm a failed rapper. Right, right, right. Decided to write stories. Um, and so, uh, yeah, 16 lines, the bars. And it does, you know, now that you mentioned like, the good times, like intro, where it just sets the scene and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, definitely um, this book is very hip hop um, influenced, you know, down to the like, story titles are like a, almost like track listings to like a, mm-hmm. a mixtape or or an, or an album um you know i think the background music that's going on um in the neighborhood is, is hip-hop down to just um people's like internal conflicts um you know i think of a story the very first story the the rent manual um and that second person which you know in terms of literature, it's inspired by like Laurie Moore and Juno Diaz, who do the second person. But yeah. then it's also inspired by the notorious B.I.G., who does the second person in the tech, Ten Crack Commandments. You know, mm-hmm. um, never sell a crack where you rest at. I don't care if they want an ounce, tell them bounce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And like in that beginning of that, in the beginning, of that song he goes i've been in this game for years it made me an animal rules to this ish i wrote me a manual and like Mm -hmm. the idea of a rent manual that's basically allusion to that those lines like you know um, yes you know um and so you know it's very hip-hop influence and i i wanted you know collection to kind of be like cohesive and to like introduce some major themes in that um and you know so i'm 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 glad you picked up on that um yeah hip-hop influence definitely no no thank you no and to be and to be fair to the to the uh non-colorful podcast out there Mm -hmm. um i would have assumed poem if i didn't listen to the audio right when i listen to the audio I, I knew based off how you read it that that's a verse, you know, because I assume I assume words that rhyme like in, in a pattern that are written on a page. I always assume those to be like poetic more mm. so than like mm. a verse. Right. But um, but you, you could tell this to audio mm. like what you were doing. Like it to me, it was obvious. Yeah, no, I hear you. And that's why I went um the only two things they had me record at Simon and Schuster were, was that and the uh and the okie doke. Um and so when I was recording that, I'm gonna make sure they know this is a rap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, yeah, nah, and even even in the okie doke too, like just the way um you read that too, like I I knew like it, it made it more authentic, right? And even just like I like in the okie doke. I was laughing out loud when I first seen it. 
how you wrote sink like with the T. And it made me think of Noriega. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> Noriega always talking about how he synced this. Mm -hmm. Like you got that infamous um Michael Jordan story where you know um they go to the Def Jam Christmas party and he's like fuck rap. And, and he was like, yo, I seen the nigga say it. And I thought about that the entire time I'm reading um, uh, what the, the second story. Now that the, the name, of course, escapes me. But, you know, um, what? My man, uh, my man Swan story. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah so, so you, so I, this Reggie, I'm, I'm wondering. So when you hear me read my poetry, what do you think it is? I be thinking it's poetry. Hmm. Well, I, I just uh, they're the same things to me, you know. Uh, you know, that's a 16. Oh, Achilles, you spent you spent too. I, I am a failed rapper as well. Um, you know, and I and I yo, I'm writing now, yo, I'm yeah. <laughs> yo, next festival, yeah. If, if, if you know, I'm sure after you know, at some point, we're gonna meet in person at some festival, we're gonna have. Some ciphers. <laughs> oh, I'm with it. I'm with it. Yeah, I love. I I used to, man. My wife would tell you, man. I would rap for hours. Yeah, I would rap Yo. for hours, like straight off the top of the head, writings, everything, right? Uh, and you know, I just kind of got jaded with the kind of lifestyle I was helping. Uh, you know, and then my son came, and I was like, <laughs> I stopped. I had literally just started performing. <laughs> when she gets pregnant, you know, and I, I made the opposite uh, decision. Uh, but yeah, like I think of poems as the same. I think of that as the same thing. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just interesting to knowing the way that you, the way that we kind of differ in the way that the music would be like, Reggie, I wonder who you think is a poetic rapper, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I wouldn't call NBA young boy that. <laughs> hey, but you know sometimes. <laughs> My kids, they love that. That that's the Bible. His lyrics are the Bible to them. I keep trying to tell. I've been trying to listen. When we get into these questions, I got for you about the classroom. You did such a great job of of bringing that out. I've been trying to get people to understand <laughs> what types of events can occur in a classroom in today's. Because I think they think that we are like in there in the in the same setting that everybody grew up in. And it's not that same thing, you know? And so when I'm telling them that these kids, like, worship NBA Young Boy, like, Young Boy is Lord and Savior. <laughs> speaking of that, like, speaking of Young Boy and speaking of, uh, you know, the classroom, Miss Dallas is my shit. I generally <laughs> don't curse on here, but that is my shit. That... And you know the following, uh, the following two stories. Um, but uh, I'm gonna get about two to three questions off on on Miss Dallas uh, throughout, right? Um, but first, uh, I want I want to talk about the setup of the setting, because though I taught in a Title One school in the South, I could see this school easily through your pros. Uh, you've you've got Mr. Broderick, the white guy who's coming to get his rocks off for a few years. You got Sister Dallas. I say Sister Dallas because I called everybody in my school brother and sister and so-and-so. Uh, so who's underpaid as hell, uh, like my little sister is right now in that exact same position in <laughs> Dallas, um, who knows what's really good, but she ain't able to get at what's really needed, if that makes sense, too. 
Uh, and the school in this story is a D. Like my school was F for I taught seven years. It, my last year was when we moved out of it. Um, so I was in these halls, you know, where the superintendent was stalking it. You know, can you talk about where you drew the inspiration to draw this reality like you did and how the setting functions craft wise? Because I feel like, you know, even outside of Miss Dallas, the setting itself is a character. Mm, mm. No, that's an excellent question. Yeah, and I looked you up, Achille. I, 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 I saw that you were a teacher. I was like, all right, all right, we can talk about this. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, nah, it's like this is year number sixteen, and it's just all these years of just seeing this wild stuff happen in schools. The thing I love most about teaching is people watching. That's the best thing. Yeah. Just watching individuals. And there's someone new every year. There's like, you know, I had a kid who was like totally wild out in class, but could do fluent American Sign Language because his parents were both deaf. And it was just super cool. Um, yeah. And we get kids like that all the time. Um, yeah. And, you know, for people who haven't really been public school teachers, the stress, you would think the stress comes for the kids. And every now and then it does. Kids stress you out. But just as much or more is the bureaucracy. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the bureaucracy. Like, I teach, like, you know, because of this book, you know, I, I got an opportunity to teach like grad school at the new school um, downtown. And I'm just amazed how like the first thing I noticed, I won't be teaching there three weeks, is that nobody comes in my class. There's nobody with a clipboard, nobody observing. Like a life of a public school teacher, you're always being scrutinized. Yeah. You know, your principal's coming, your AP's coming. Then as that superintendent um, visit. Um, and so... You know, I wanted to like portray like a year in the life of a school, but not from the teacher's perspective and not from the student's perspective, but someone who was seasoned and who had seen and who had experienced and can absor observe. Yeah. Um, but then also be caught in this just very tangled hierarchy and that she's very seasoned but then at the same time, she has to defer to a teacher. She's assistant to a teacher who's only been teaching a year. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to play with with those with those dynamics. Um, and you know, I always think about one of the things that I like. You know, I'm gonna continue um, doing this, and I always think about teaching, and I always think about like what type of people would make good teachers and 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 whatnot um because the profession you know you get two i get two extremes from from people like you get the one extreme where it's like thank you for your for your service you have all these wonderful sto um, stories it's uh of, of kids and interactions in the classroom and it's a calling and wow what a rewarding job there's that and then there's the also there's the 
what have you done with your life? You know, you know, like, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. there's that, like, oh, don't you want to teach college or and like, but when you step into school, it's a totally different world. People who are like the man in society, I'll just be like, hmm, let me. St- let me just watch you in the classroom for one week, sit in the back and just eat some popcorn, <laughs> you know? And I think of who and who in, like, the, the, the world at large would be, like, good teachers. Like, I think someone who would be a good teacher, real talk, would be um, Stephen A. Smith would be a great, would be a, a, a great teacher. He's just yeah. so passionate. This, and anytime, like, I try to pretend in my mind that I'm Stephen A. Smith, the kids all per- perk up. I'm like, yeah. No, let me tell you something. <laughs> I love I love Tony Morrison. Don't get me wrong. A top five talent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then and so like anytime like I'm pretending to be Stephen A. Smith, like kids just perk up. So I'm like, I, he would be a great teacher. Dave Chappelle would be a great teacher too, because he's oh, straight yeah, up he's... honest. Yeah. And as far as women, I feel like anyone like um, anyone who I can imagine saying like, "What you not gonna do in this class?" Would be a great <laughs> teacher. Like, like Roxanne Gay would be a great teacher because you're oh, like, yeah. "What you not gonna do in here?" Or Stacey Abrams would be a great teacher. Viola Davis. Um, and I just yeah. think about like, you know, um, just individuals, and it's not necessarily like the smartest or the most accomplished that would actually, you know, get things done in the classroom. Um, even though people I, I mentioned are, you know, very smart and very accomplished. Um, but, it, you know, it takes also a certain level of like interpersonal skills. Right? Yeah. I think Barack Obama would be a good teacher. He might struggle for a couple of days, but he'd be like, he'd, he'd get it. He'd, he'd, he'd get it. And he'd be like, all right, all right, I figured everything out. We're good to go. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think about teaching and like how um, adults connect to students, um, the stories that students tell to each other, what's going on in their lives. Um, and that just, you know, I, I originally wanted to make that a, a memoir, but that story mm-hmm. just popped into my head. And I was just like, all right, let me just commit it to paper right now and see where it goes. Uh, in the mm-hmm. event you ever do want to write the memoir, bro, nothing, <laughs> you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I think it's safe to say you'd have two happy readers for <laughs> yes, sure. Yes. yes. Uh, so just a thought. <laughs> word, word. Just, just a thought. A um, little bit of everybody here. Young people with GEDs, old people with arthritis, folks with child support payments, uncles in jail, aunties on crack, cousins in the blood, sisters hoeing. That's what everybody want to concentrate on, the shit that be happening only 1% of the time, right? I love this early quote from Mimi because she tells us from the beginning that we are going to find worth in the mundane as we move forward. But I also love it because it speaks to the way that I feel like we tend to fetishize poverty, Mm. particularly the poverty that belongs to black folks, Mm. right? Mm. So I wanted to ask you, do you agree with Mimi that the stuff that she describes only happens 1% of the time. If yes, can you speak to the importance of using your work 
to shine a light on the other 99 percent mm, right? if mm, not can you give us the correct percentages while still telling us <laughs> the importance of the other 99 percent of the event i mean again you know I, I take my own experiences growing up roxbury was a place that would be in the news a lot um and you know people I, you know, I went to a private school. I went to like a, a day school, the edge of the city, the most prep of preps. And I've been to my classmates' houses where classmates have never come down. Like only maybe like two or three people ever came to, to my house. And I think about like how people would describe my neighborhood and how I would describe it. And I would describe it as like, it's pretty, you know, nice community. But then every now and then there'd be some crazy stuff that would happen. And it would just be like really loud for five seconds. And then it'd be quiet. I heard Jay-Z describe Marcy a little bit. I'm sure Marcy's like way just on a different level. But I remember him being on um on Letterman. And you know, you get to a certain level of success, like as a rapper or whatnot. He has a line. He has that very line that's like they try, they still try to remind you that you get him. Yeah. And I think Letterman, to some extent, even if it wasn't intentional, was trying to do that. It was like, you know, tell us about selling drugs. Tell us about living in the projects. And you could tell that clip is on, on YouTube and you could tell Jay-Z is peeved a little bit in the moment. Yeah. And he's like, I don't, I, what do you want me to tell you? And he's like, Letterman's like, just tell me. Um, and um, and Jay-Z goes, <laughs> he goes, well, um, it was kids riding bikes and it was the ice cream truck and it was the water, you know, the hydrant. And Letterman, you could tell him not the answer that he wanted. And finally, Jay-Z is like, well, every now and then, there was really small guys with really big guns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, um, and yeah, I, I think at least, you know, from my experiences and whatnot, it's been like just a fraction of the time something something really bad happens. When I taught in Brownsville, same thing. Brownsville, you know, not the most inviting place, but it wasn't like crime would happen all the time. Um, and you know, I'm not going to lie about my curiosity and fascination with like how the other half lives. Um, you know, there's definitely a fascination there, but I told myself, you know, if I'm going to talk about public housing, it's not going to be like drug trafficking murders and whatnot I'm gonna try to like portray everyday life so um i think mimi's statement is just a kind of um a mission statement a mantra to be like you know what this is how regular regular people live um in terms of percentages um you know i'm interested to hear like what what you would what what, what would you say just in the the average city in America, average urban city, whether it be, um, you know, Boston, Houston, Atlanta, uh, 
lower ninth war what would be like the percentage of when some stuff really some bad stuff really happens to when it's like regular i'm just interested yeah. here I mean, to, to me, honestly, I'm, and look, I'm going to say this. Uh, my disclaimer, I'm a military brat. So, mm-hmm. like, I've never really been in, like, a quote-unquote rough area or anything. Mm-hmm. But it does kind of seem like Mimi's right, though, because really and truly what happens is, and I say this all the time, right? Like, I always, my, my little provocative statement is people don't want to see positive news, right? Mm-hmm. So, of course, the news is going to show you, like, like even today, I'm on, uh, you know, IG a little bit, and one of my news sites, right, <clears throat> sends, you know, posts out saying New Orleans is the murder capital of the U.S. or whatever, mm, right? Mm. And, you know, my dad lives in New Orleans. Mm, and, mm. you know, I went down to visit him. I met a Killian person when I went down there. And, you know, I, I felt safe down there, right? Of course, I wasn't like where I'm sure all the trouble is, if you will. But my thing is, I think what happens is there are certain parts of areas that have like downtrodden periods. And I think those downtrodden periods, you know, garner clicks and garner views, right? So mm. I think people talk mm. about it because, as I like to say, people don't want to see positive images. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, so speaking on behalf of like, you know, like some of those more southern areas you were kind of talking about um, in my upbringing, I think there is some truth to so I was building a question that I didn't put in here about mm. uh, marginalized communities that have marginalized communities inside of them, mm. right? And so when when Mimi goes and sells the, the uh, chocolate, right, to the crackheads, right, the crackheads are going to be like another marginalized community inside of a marginalized community, right? Mm. And so when I think about, like, things that popped off in my neighborhood and things that pop off, like, in general, like, when... You know, so so my uh my rap name was Wooda, right? So when I was Wooda, right, when I was kind of causing those things, those are very those are isolated in- incidents that are that are generally inside that other marginalized community. And so if you know that they sell crack down there, you know what I'm saying? You you when when it when it gets really loud, right? Mm. You are nine times out of ten not around the area anyway. And then so you go to school the next day, you're like, man, they left old boy leaking the other day. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, and everybody yeah. knows who old boy is, right? Because he's a part of that marginalized community. And so when I think about, even like when I was chopping it up with Reggie, I was like, yeah, we good here. This, this, ain't, this ain't New Orleans. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We good here. And we would if we knew someone, that's the whole kind of thing about the whole checking in thing. If you know someone, then they can tell you where those other marginalized spaces are. So I think there's some 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 real truth to that, to this idea of, you know, it's just not all the time. Because if it was, then where does where does that camaraderie come from that neighborhoods end up developing over time? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think that's because of a certain familiarity um, that that you have when you are there. And I think in terms of the pro, in terms of like what you see image wise, I think there is a, you know, of course, something to be said about what you get out of that type of programming um, when it comes to those places. And what you get is the need for gentrification, mm. right? There's a reason mm. that the Ninth Ward don't look like the Ninth no more, mm. you know, mm. because that programming does, a part, well, a part of this job, right? Because it could do multiple things, but 
that's what I think about when you uh, when you ask that question was the question I was building about the, the way that you can have these little small cells inside of that. Cell. Inside, inside, right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. agree with that. And like, you know, I, I just think of, um, you know, especially teaching the the kids who I taught who were like really in the streets were the quietest and they had their own code. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like the kids who are really in the streets are not going to come up to you in the lunchroom and like punch you. No, like they're the ones that if you violate a certain like honor, then they would step in. Or if you were in the game, then like, you know, they would interact act with you in a different way. Like, yeah, yeah. In my neighborhood, if you were a chess club kid and you walking down the street, nobody's gonna bother you. They get out of here, you know. That when they go yeah. get out of here, you know. Yeah. <laughs> if anything, they're gonna uplift you. They're gonna be like, get out of here. You yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, so yeah, when you talk about like marginalized communities within marginalized communities, yeah, it's like it is that, and it's like this whole encapsulated place that like stays to itself and unless you're like in it in it mm-hmm. you might not even yeah. you might not even notice um yeah 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 um, yeah like that like i had homeboys who you know who are the who are the jack boys like from mardi gras mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and they literally they have a a code for how to like tell people out you know mm-hmm. oh yeah mm-hmm. you know sun sun straight uh, okay, they have tourists, you know, they wide open, those types of things. So, yeah, it's, mm. a, it's you're absolutely right, especially with I, I love to see that there's not any difference mm. in, in these different schools because it's absolutely true. I think it takes you a couple of years to see through the kids who are trying to lean on the actual kids, the kids that when you do actually call their mom, they'd be like, oh no, oh, oh no, no, you know, yeah, no, he's not like yeah. that, he's <laughs> not like that. Uh huh. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Clarence's parents had a real good marriage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's hilarious. Yes. <laughs> the phrase "welfare queen" has been mm. stuck in my head ever since. Mm. Fellow Mississippi native, who in fact lives right up the street from me, Brett Favre, did what I'm quite sure politicians have been doing in Mississippi forever. Uh, when he decided to defraud the government for six to eight million dollars. Now, I have a rule of thumb when you hear the number that they actually decide to give you, you probably got about 10, right? But we're gonna say mm, six to eight because mm, that's mm, what they told us, right? Mm, mm. So, while reading the rent manual, particularly the part on page 13 where you say people out there call you ghetto trash, right? Mm. This is Mimi, and then Mimi goes on to say that she's been through the struggle and that people need to stop fronting like all people want in life is food and a roof. Mm. Now, I've been toying with the idea of calling Brett Favre a welfare queen all week. <laughs> and I know he would probably refer to Mimi as ghetto trash. And I know both of them aren't content with just food, with just having food in the roof. What do you think this conversation is saying about both of them, about mm. what America feeds everyone, not just not just the person who might who might be uh, referred to as a welfare queen, but the what they are feeding bread as well. 
Mm, what does this conversation say about what we the diet that we're on here in america wow yeah no i I mean that's a profound question and topic um i think america is we're a designer nation it's like you know having money in america is actually you know we talk about the theme of like silence and things being quiet and things being loud having money in america is a very quiet thing like you know you're not gonna see um mark zuckerberg in 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 the uh you know like five thousand dollar suits and whatnot like a lot of times you could you you wouldn't even tell like i remember um one time um because I, I, you know, I studied at NYU and one of uh, my advisors was Jonathan Safran Four, and he came up to visit and, you know, he was dressed real regular. And I remember, <laughs> <laughs> real regular. And yeah. I remember um, um, the payroll secretary being like, asking questions like, is he a millionaire? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, he, he you know, um, and so uh, the idea that like money, money is very silent and that if you see like a music video, um, then you have people, the, the way that you display money, is you have to be ostentatious to be like, to show it on TV, you know, because you mm-hmm. can't show silence on TV. So how do you show you're rich? You got to like have a car and whatnot even though all those things like a jewelry and like really nice clothes that just represents money spent it doesn't mm. represent money made you know um and so um you know i think of a, a line that uh, fonte uh from little brother said he was like damn damn music videos that them psycho that's psychological warfare and so yeah. you you know um and so with someone like mimi um you know, she's working very hard and she's striving. She's trying to make ends meet, but that's not enough for her. She has to like show everybody that she's okay. And that could be very toxic, but it says something about her personality, but it also says something about America, you know, and like, um, what do certain groups of people feel like they have to do to show everyone that they're part of the dream and they're living the dream. Um, now the Brett Favre thing, I to be totally honest, I didn't even know. Like, so oh, you didn't know? Dude, yeah. <laughs> oh, let me break it down. Prodded, what? What did this so dude this, do? So this is what makes me think about this, right? Yeah. Um, what you just said about how it shows how various people, groups of people in America view money and, and interact with money. I would think so. Brett basically made a call where they were using their siphoning the funds. So we get buku money down here, right? Mm-hmm. And then the money just we don't know what happens to it, right? The schools are wow. still 50th in the nation. Uh everything, the healthcare system still 50th in the nation. But we know that we got this money, right? Mm-hmm. And so um what I knew was happening, because I, I worked in the bank, right? Where we had these general ledger accounts and our um our CEO got found to have been using the general ledger account oh to God. literally fly down the street. Oh right. So if that, I all, again, I always think if that can happen at this level, 
Imagine what happens at the governmental level. So Brent basically get on the phone with our governor, Phil Bryant, and was like, yo, um, uh, can can I get this money uh, so that I can build my daughter a volleyball thing? I I have recorded Mm -hmm. a post the other day, Mm -hmm. the actual building. Um, And so is there a way you can get the money out of that uh, welfare pool without it getting in the media? Right. Now, the man is worth over $110 million. But the way that the way that money moves there, right, is in that good old boy system. And so he would rather not spend the hundreds of millions of dollars he has, right? He would rather do make this phone call and pull this money from people who need this money, from people who, you know, like who are ostracized in this state, right? By these very politicians who I know are siphoning this money. Our public education system, I think, hasn't been fully funded since 98. Now, they get the money. So where has it been going? You know what I'm saying? And so that's what I think is is telling about the situation. I think it should be larger, um, Mm. but it won't be, right? It's already kind of quiet now, but there needs to be some conversation about that in these southern states where we know that people generally vote with racism in mind and not actual policy. Yeah. So these people are making a mockery of poor black folks and poor white folks because when they get in the office, they balling out of control. Oh, (laughs) yeah. But that's what happened. And that's what made me think about both of them because they're both buying into what I should look like based Mm -hmm. on who and where I'm from. You know, because um, Brett wears Wranglers and a T-shirt every day, just like Mark, right? Like mm, I said, and mm. yet Brett is robbing Peter to pay Paul, just like Mimi. You know what I mean? And so I, I feel like they're both. That's why I say I I, I like to call him the Welfare Queen because I know he tried to call her Ghetto Trash. Yeah, you know no, what I'm saying? No, that's a I hear no point made. Point made. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Oh, so yeah, that's what happened, brother. Yeah, uh, yeah. I hear you. Blew my mind with that. Um, <laughs> uh, and um, <clears throat> just to keep this, I guess this theme going, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, all she wants some hill money. All she needs some bill money, right? Mm, Pusha mm. T lyrics from a good music <laughs> classic. I'm sure both of you mm-hmm. are familiar with uh, "Mercy," right? Mm. Came to mind as we see Mimi do what some may call the mismanagement of money, right? Mm. She buys Louis Vuitton bags, Jordans, leather booty pants, open-toed spaghetti strap shoes, and Xbox and more when she could have and possibly should have you know, put money aside <laughs> for rent, right? And this, this makes me think of all the talk we tend to see from financial gurus and, and just American believers where we always told we're in the land of opportunity. doesn't matter your station. It's all on you. You could be a millionaire or a billionaire. Mm. You got to change your mindset first. Mm. Right? And I wanted you to just talk to us about the work that you believe the American dream does in your collection and whether mm. or not the American dream <laughs> truly makes room within its confines for characters like those who live in Banneker Terrace. Mm, 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 mm. Speak on it. All right. Um, all right. Okay. <laughs> so it's funny that there are different reactions to the collection, you know. And when I'm writing writing it early in the game, you know, I think 
when you first start writing, or at least I thought, like, you get the notion of, like, hmm, could I be the goat? Could I be the cho chosen one? <laughs> and, and then you start writing, and you start getting feedback, and you're like, I'm not the goat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it takes... And so, like, um, and so with that, like, you know, I think the the one satisfaction or one content is that, like, over the years, I try to take as much advice as um, as possible and just put it out there knowing that I took all the advice and I gave it my best shot. Now, we were talking real early in the conversation about, like, being shy and having to be in the public I, and one of the, one of the things that gives me anxiety is that I know my work is not perfect. You know, like mm -hmm. I know just because, you know, just from being in workshops and whatnot, you know, it's just hard to, to make a perfect work. And this is my first time. And, you know, I know it's not perfect. And some of the things that people have have said, and it's not necessarily criticism, but things that make me think they're like, you know, stories. It's a lot of despair in the stories, you know? Um, there's a lot of like, man, things just end up messed up. And mm -hmm. I agree, like to, a, to a, a large extent, like not much goes right. Um, but to examine something like Derry, who's like, you know, homosexual man who considers doing sex work which you know it's like a could be like a, a a stereotype but you know try to my best to subvert it um yeah. and at the, at the end he says like you know his dreams don't work out he wants to he wants to be uh, um he want he, he wants to do hair and it just doesn't work out and at the end of the story i'm gonna spoil it you know whatever you know y'all read it already but i'm gonna spoil it for the listeners um he says, you know, I got a new plan. Y'all want to know what it is. And I look at an ending like that. And then your question, Reggie, about like the American dream with, with characters. It's like most Americans believe in the American dream. They believe that they can achieve it. They believe that they could be rich. They believe in all these things. But then there's something about us, the astute observer of who has access to the American dream that can shed insight. So when someone like Derry says, I got this new plan, do you know, wanna know what it is? And he's saying, I believe in the American dream. Some of the more astute observers might be like, Derry, I don't think it's gonna work out. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like the American dream is a lot like that. It's like we think we we have access to it. But if we take a step out off the dance floor and we go to the balcony, we might find that it's a little harder or much harder than than we 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 think it is. Um, and so, you know, I try not to make like political statements and whatnot um and try to not to make stories have political points but if someone were to read that and just kind of have that um insight into the american dream then 
I'd be like, you know what? I kind of agree that people have dreams, but society might be kind of rigged sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that's like my favorite thing about like stories from the tens downstairs, to be honest, right. Is, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, we we had um, you know a fellow short story writer. We had Jonathan Scoffrey on mm. uh, last last episode, right? And he, when when talking to him, right, um, you know, we were talking about just like I guess this pursuit, right? And 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 one thing that I was saying was a conversation that you know I mentioned earlier, Katia, my girlfriend. You know, something that I was saying to her is, you know, a lot of us who are black, right. Like it ain't it ain't like what some of the literature, some of the stories on TV have you thinking where we worried about like some white ghost like that's about to walk into the crib and do something to us, right? A lot of us are just being black. We ain't articulating it, right? Mm-hmm. And your characters were busy being black. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, being a black American is whether or not you you on your front porch waving an American flag or not, what so many of us have in common is we just trying to we just trying to get some money. Mm, mm. We just trying to live our best life, and we take you know sometimes traditional and sometimes creative paths, sometimes troublesome paths to just figure out how to live our best life, and that just rang so true with all the characters in this work, man. And um, you know that that's why I wanted to just ask that question it's like you really show like what being black is about versus like i don't know some projection of blackness that don't always ring true yeah. mm, mm, mm. all right no I, I appreciate that you know um you know and what you said about like people don't think like oh it's a um there's this white ghost here you know people are worried about like oh, where I'm living is gentrifying. Like, you might worry about that to an extent, but it's not like your everyday forefront conscious. You're really, again, like you said, like, how can I get some money? How can I pay my bills? I'm in love. You know, how can I pursue this relationship? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's like very human things that happen. And then to be a person of color in this country, to just deal with the human stuff of just pursuing life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, to deal with all that, and then, even though you're not even thinking about the racism and the gentrification, that just is just hovering over, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a, a interesting, fascinating, and just like, wow, like this is this is how it means to be person of color. You deal with all the human stuff, and then you deal with like the social stuff that happens. Um, yeah. Yeah, I always think of it like a coat. I mean, mm. when, when Du Bois talks about double consciousness, like that's one of the lens of my dissertation. It's not mm. that it's not that you are constantly thinking about it. I mean, I always say that the people who are who are like victims of gentrification don't even have the language to use a word like gentrification a lot of mm. time. Right? Like, ain't yes. nobody in the yes. world saying you know they they gentrifying us, right? It's just yeah. happening, and that's something I loved about um, the the rent manual. Uh, and how um, you know there gentrification is there, right? It's knocking on the doors, right? The rent is going up, and there's we're under new management. Um, even the group, right, that that, that is discussing 
uh, the, what's going on in the community, right, is, is still not in possession of the language for it. They just know that some stuff is about to happen and we need you to come to the meeting so we can try and prepare, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I always think of it like this coat, right? It's, it's like this, we understand, right, that, that all these things are happening, right? Um, we might not have the language for it. We know they're there, but in, in Morrison has, I think in an essay I mentioned um, in the episode for Lads, the essay where she's kind of discussing that and it's basically saying, and in spite of that, you know, we find love. In spite of that, we have mm, friendships, mm, right? Mm, um, mm. You know, because, and, and you know, that's kind of why a lot of times we tend to exude those higher ideals that first this country claims to profess, right, are usually with the people who it has under their foot, right? We're the ones who believe in democracy. We're the ones who believe in justice, right? Um, and the, the, the very folks who don't get it. And that's what I... Isata brought that out about the story when we were talking about it. She was like, is it just me or is the is this book about the people that everyone chooses not to see? Everyone pretends mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. they're not there. And I think that's um, that's what that's one of the huge parts of it. That's what that final story is about when uh, he's like, you know, the bus don't let out on this side of the, mm -hmm. the street. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so when you go in there, you know what I'm saying? And you and you have you knocking one back, right? Because you are able to partake in that world over there where the bus it, it could be that simple that the damn the thing don't yeah, open yeah. on this side of the street. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, um it, it that really rung true to me. Uh, you know, so yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, that. even on that, right? Like it's like you articulated it, or or Sadiq, like you articulated in the work, the bus don't let out on the side of the street. It's not necessarily like when we say that in real life, we're gonna say, "Hey, because of like racism and yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. This and that, right? Yeah. The bus yeah, yeah. doesn't. It's just like, yo, hey, they don't come out here at ten o'clock. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 I, so, I mean, shout out to the astute reading. Like, you know, I'm so glad that you had that interpretation because I was I was going for that and I was um. You know, I, I tried to, you know, I was like, I, I'm going to try to write something about gentrification and not use that word, you know, mm -hmm. throughout. Um, so, uh, yeah, again, I, I appreciate the super careful reading, you know, really good. Uh, uh, of course, of course. One of the things that we've discussed on the show a couple of times and even the last episode is the distance between information and change in the black community. Mm -hmm. um, like I always say, I'm aware that some of these issues are happening in other communities, but mm -hmm. I'm currently concerned with my own. <laughs> and in, in the okie doke, I feel like Swan is the perfect case study to unpack this concept and provide some space for analysis. Mm -hmm. uh, in it, we see him struggle with what he's seen uh, with the nation's first black president and what he's learned both from his time in prison uh, where he read the autobiography of Malcolm X and from watching Obama's press conferences randomly. Mm. Um, if consciousness is awareness and nothing more, right? Like, so not like, you know, where, what they've taken and made consciousness and wokeness to mean. Mm. Consciousness is merely just awareness, as is defined. How is this information working on Swan's psyche? And will it ever change him completely? Or is something else needed, right? Mm. Um, and, I, you know, like, for instance, like when he says... How long am I going to be running like this every time I'm hungry? Right. Mm -hmm. 
Like, mm. is like, is there is the information gonna work, or is the inf- or or is there something lacking on that other end that turns Najee into Swan? Mm, mm, right. Mm, mm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Um. <laughs> deep. Deep. Okay. So. The um. When I was working in Brownsville, it was two days before Thanksgiving. And I had these really cool headphones on. Um, and I had an iPod back when the iPods were were popular. Um, the iPod I had before, I got in, it gotten stolen. And I remember leaving work, looking in the mirror with the headphones and um having the ipod on me and i was like wow i've had this ipod for like a good nine months and i was like as long as i keep it on my person and i don't leave it out you know i'm gonna have this Mm -hmm. no sooner i walk down the street and three dudes pull up on me (laughs) brownsville one of them goes one of them goes um what 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 are you listening to? And already you know what question that is. Like that's like that's like a can I see your bike? Yep, man. Oh my god! Know? So I was yes. like, I was like nothing. I'm not listening <laughs> to nothing. <laughs> yeah. And oh, uh, and and he grabs he grabs my my pocket, and the, the iPad. I'm holding. I'm uh, the iPod. I'm holding it. He's holding it. I won't let it go. And he's like, he's like, um, you know, me, me, me and my friends play with guns, you know? And as soon as he said that, I just let it go. I let it go. I was like, all right, it's yours. It's yours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I think about that because before that happened, before I got robbed, you know, before that, um, I, I thought it was like around 2008. I was like, we got a black president. If ever... If I ever come across any problem on the street, I'm gonna be brave mm-hmm. enough to be like, brother, we got yeah. a black president. <laughs> we got a black president. So in yes. the moment, I remembered it in the moment as I was being dispossessed of my iPod. I remembered that, but I didn't uh I didn't say it like I was it was I was too scared or whatnot. Um mm-hmm. but that made the okie doke the story and miller's telling the story like i robbed this dude for an ipod and nine dollars and the dude was like we got a black president um yeah and and i said what does that have to do with this <laughs> and so to your question about like information and and, and being conscious and, and woke um i think a lot of people process some some information or events major events and um and it, it it they want to change, but mm-hmm. there's something about change is more than just having the thought. And I think someone yeah. like Spawn, um, he wants to change, and I hope he does. You know, I hope he does. But there is that per- percentage of chance that he he he, he doesn't. You know, um, mm-hmm. and it's funny, like pe- even people who like consider themselves woke. If you like really examine wokeness, mm-hmm. you'll be like, 
gotcha. Like, for instance, you know, um, my wife, I love her to death. I love her to death. I caught her and she's very woke. She's very woke. She's, you know, mm-hmm. um, but I remember it was the holidays um, and we we're exchanging gifts. And, and at the end, I was like, um, so of all the things that were purchased, were there any black owned companies? You know, were there any black owned companies being purchased? <laughs> and yeah. she was like, oh, 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 oh. Like, it's like you can have the thought, but like I think we're just programmed as a as a country to just um to not be aware of our own like you know prejudices, biases, yeah, you know, like um, and so you know that's a that's a that's a great question. Um when you talk about information and what that that leads to, I think it, it's like a constant journey. You know, I yeah. think if things happen to Swan that remind remind um, remind him of like the significance of having a black president, then you know change will eventually eventually come. You know, I yeah. think of uh, I mean, the last thing I'll say about this is uh, um, Joe Biden. Like when he he got elected. I wasn't thinking like, oh, police brutality is going to end, you know, like even though he was he was very adamant about it, like some things it's just more than just like saying, oh, this is a problem. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, one thing I give Joe Biden, like if if something like that happens, he'll at least like call somebody's mother and be like, I'm sorry. Trump wouldn't do that, you know? Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. But, you know. Yeah. That whole yeah. that whole thing is interesting. The whole thing is interesting. Yeah, I think. Um, and so the reason I brought up Najee, and I said this as quickly as I can, mm. is your choice of how he wrote that letter reminded me of how all of my students write their essays mm. when I first get them right. And it's just it's just that you know, like we know where this story goes. Cause Swan tells Miss Dallas, remember you used to have to come get me from that class. Yeah, time like yeah, that? yeah, yeah. We yeah. know how this story goes, right? And 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 I think that there's this in that sentence when it says, uh, "How how long am I going to have to run like this every time that I get hungry?" That's that spirit that Najee Cowboy and um and the other homie have, you know. And I and I, whenever my students reach out to me, it's like a exhaustion. You know, um, and when they when they like, hey, can we have because they're grown now, so they're mm-hmm. like, yo, can we have mm-hmm. some coffee? I've been staying up real late. I got some stuff on on my mind, <laughs> you know, and uh, it's just this level of exhaustion that I, I just saw that with Swan uh, when he's looking at all these different things that are occurring around him, right? But there's mm. there's just like there's just there's this other part, this other part of the catalyst that's you know, it's just missing, you know, and I, I think he's going to be running for a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I hear you definitely. And, you know, you know, just the fact that he could even have like, you know, an awakening like that is, you know, something positive. But I agree with you. I think, you know, he's headed in the right direction, but he probably going to be running a little bit more. And I hear you with the students. It's, it is draining. It's like, especially years later and like a student maybe that used to wild out in class with I remember one time on the train somebody a student I had like maybe eight years ago um who was like gave me a hard time in class like I'm saying like cursing me out everything and I remember he saw me on the train 
it was a packed train and he was just like mr fofana i just want to apologize to you for my behavior and like the whole train was quiet it was mm-hmm. just like but stuff like that is draining when like you deal with students who are at a certain point in their life and then they grow up and you realize how how important you were to their life yeah and yeah how much of a staple you can be and they reach out to you and it's very welcoming and it's very nice but then at the same time it's like you know it could catch you off guard cuz you're like wow mm-hmm. you know yeah I was a person to them outside the class, outside the class. Deja vu hit me. Could have sworn we was in this apartment, same positions. Miller sitting on the couch about to grab the gang controller, wife beaters and do-rags on, wasting our life. I mean, don't get me wrong. I could drink till I earl and get hair from stank bitches on the stairwell all night. But we've been doing that for 10 years. And it make you think, is that all the next year, the next 10 years got in store for us? Is we just going to be some herbs, smoking roaches, and rubbing our hands whenever the heat bill ain't paid? We used to clown the niggas in the orange hats at Mickey D's or in the shorts working at working for UPS. Call them yes sir niggas. But I rock that all day now. But I can't tell these niggas. Mm, mm. Mm-hmm. And I, I love this because once again, shout out to Kathea making yet another appearance mm. in this show. Kathea really has not been since the last mm. time I recorded. Right? We one thing we were talking about recently is like the dishonor of an honest living. How mm. you a clown when you work at McDonald's, right? Although you work it and although you mm. try, how mm. you're a clown when you know you work at the post office or UPS, despite the fact that you are making an honest living, you are doing your best, you're taking an opportunity that was given to you, and you're making the most out of it, right? Um, I want you to talk to us about the work that you feel your collection does to showcase the honor that accompanies the honest living Mm. as well as like the shame that most people want you to feel about your honest living, depending on what it is you actually do. Mm, 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 mm. All right. (laughs) <laughs> original, original question. All right, all right. Questions, questions are fire. Yo, yeah, love, love, love. <laughs> questions are fire. Questions are fire. Um. So I think, yeah, the honest living. You know, there's the there's the the courage and the the honest living. I think of Robert De Niro and Brock's Tale, where he's telling his son, he's like, "You looking up to these these gangsters in here?" But the real courage is. It's me driving the bus, you know, and it's mm-hmm. something and I don't, you know, want to hear that right now. You know, I think of myself as a, uh, you know, a child of immigrants. You know, you when you're an immigrant, you come to this country, you don't have you don't have much, you know. Um, and like a lot of times you work the jobs that like people, you know, don't don't want, for lack of a better term, like. Um, but you work them honestly, you work them diligently, um, you take the tips, you take the, 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 uh, the writer in the, in the, in the, uh, in the cab and you drive them wherever and you stack up and, you know, you make a living out of that. And there's, and there's, there's honesty in that. Um, 
And I think, you know, when Swan has that moment, it's, it's, it's the same thing. Like, in, uh, w- whether it be like working class communities, people of color, immigrants, it's like the same mentality of you have a choice whether like, you know, am I going to just do something, do a job where does, that doesn't necessarily give me the glamour, but at the same time allows me to survive and and set myself up or my progeny for the next thing. And I think Swan has that moment where he's like, you know what? There's one thing to just be stylish and to be luxurious, but to be have a regular and to be dependent and, and steady, that's an, that's another thing. Um there was an experiment uh in Freakonomics, they said like you know, the average drug dealer like lives with their mom, you know? And that was like a revolutionary thing because people thought like all drug dealers were balling, but Mm -hmm. they weren't, they weren't, you know? It's just like only like, just just like a, you know, in the study, um, Sudhir Venkatesh did it. He's like, it's just like a Fortune 500 company. It's like the CEO is the one that's balling. Everybody else is, yeah. yeah. And so I think, you know, when you make a conscientious choice to be like, all right, um, let me let me work and let me not pursue this life that everyone else thinks is glamorous when it's actually very dangerous. You know, I think it's a it's a a moment of courage, a moment mm-hmm. of courage. Um, and so he does that. And of course, he's not going to tell his friends um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, um, and those would be sometimes those would be the like those jobs be the most rewarding, the most rewarding jobs. Um but yeah, yeah no, that's original. Original yeah. question. No, thank you, brother. Mm. And and honestly, like I just I just like when like real life just connects to the art in in, in the way that your story, like your collection, I should say, found me at this particular time right mm-hmm. with these mm-hmm. particular thoughts because something that like even you know just Pithy and I again just been talking about is just like the fill the vilification of being broke right it's not mm-hmm. even like a it's more than shame sometimes mm-hmm. at point. It, it's like a vilification like you're a bad human mm-hmm. being because you're broke because you're mm-hmm. poor or whatever um and I even like how you go over a story and you know, uh, Swan does have a gig and he has spun a chicken suit. And <laughs> Dallas says, Hey, call them and let them know you quit. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah. That's, the end of, that's the end of that conversation, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. And I it's like, about them over. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. like you, you know what that's about, though, mm-hmm. right? Because yep. there's plenty of jobs that he could have came home and said that he was doing, and she don't say nothing like that. Then, facts. Facts, facts. Yeah. Um, you know, I think even as 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 writers and creators, um, um, podcasters, um, you know, and you know, listening to other uh, episodes when you make the plug in the beginning, you like support us so we can become closer, closer to doing yeah. this as our full time job. And then the honor and being like, all right, I'm going to work during the day 
I'm going to do this thing that I love. I'm going to do it regularly when I'm tired and just stack and be steady. Like, we're, we're talking about the American dream. I feel like that's the that's a, the rewarding part. I, that's the most realistic part is people doing what they can to eventually, like, achieve that that dream. And when it happens like that, um, people work hard like that. Stuff just, it just happens. You know, it just happens. Yeah. Work hard enough. So, um, we hope, we hope. Yeah. We hope. yeah. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, you know, uh, um, and when you get that merch section, you know, because I, I, I got like T-shirt collections and hoodie collections. When the books of pop culture merch section, you know, I'm going to be up on that. Love, love, yeah, yeah, appreciate you, brother. Mm-hmm. Hey, and if if there's some Sadiq Fafona merch or stories from Tins Downstairs merch, you let us know too. All right, all right, all right. On that, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Reciprocity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so of course we we got some questions laid, just like you got them verses laid. But you know, yeah. we're gonna get to you know these uh these these closers. Um, okay. So, for my dear Lindsay, um, can you talk to us? A little bit of further about um, Lindsay, whom you dedicated stories oh, from yeah. downstairs to. Yeah, she's my she's my wife. We we uh, we met in undergrad. Um, she's from Connecticut. Her um, her parents actually grew up in Harlem, so it was interesting to see like if like what I was portraying, you know, resonated with them and whatnot. But um, she has been so supportive, you know, and as when you have a wife, you know, there's a certain level of support that you expect, you know, because you're like, you're married to that person. Like, they, of course, they're going to support you. But she has gone like above and beyond. Like, again, like I said, you know, outside of events, I'm, I'm very shy and I haven't tweeted and whatnot. And it was one of those things where publisher, they were very supportive about that. They were just like, you don't have to like be on social media and whatnot. Um, you know, if, if it makes you uncomfortable, that's fine. Um, but I could tell, you know, I could tell they, they, you know, felt like we were missing out on an opportunity. But my wife, she went on social media and tweet, tweeted and posted. She told her friends to post like, mm-hmm. um, and she's been just, just, you know, crazy in my in my corner. I don't think she's yeah. ever said. And there's drafts I've I've given her to read, and they've literally put her to sleep. <laughs> and she's never said one bad word about it. <laughs> you know, she's like she's that person who's like gone by like a hundred copies of your book and whatnot. Um, and um, so you know, she was she she's been great, and it's uh, you know, it's just a no brainer to dedicated to her because she's just gone above and beyond and I wouldn't be able to even you know enjoy this life of talking about literature um if it wasn't for her she's literally downstairs doing the parental <laughs> the parental duty mm-hmm. just to allow me to have some time to have this like wonderful conversation with you all so thank you for asking um, me about her yeah yeah love to Lindsay and love to my lovely wife Trees, because Reggie has said Kathea's name five times. Shout out to my <laughs> lovely wife, Trees. We are 
the the president and vice president of the Faithful Black Men Association. And it wouldn't be right if we did not all mention our loved ones. Shout mm. out to my wife, Trace. She she made sure this is a black man reading merch that I have on. So shout out to wives working hard, mm. you know, all out there, all out there. And we hope mm. that uh, as as the paragons of uh, of uh, Faithful Black Men Association that you feel appreciated today on this day and every day in between. Yes, and and and, and Achille, you met you met Trees in undergrad too, right? Because I met Kathy. I did. Oh wow! Mm -hmm, the undergrad mm -hmm. love right there. All right, I tell you, I tell you, undergrad love will yeah. blossom regardless <laughs> of the propaganda against. Amen. <laughs> you know, uh, some some good music you've been listening to. Oh, yeah. Shout out to my son right now. He's five. By the time I do this mix, he'll probably be six. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. Let's go. You know, I got a really good teacher friend, you know, Dave Hobgood. He's like a he's like a um super Andre 3000 fan, so I can't even stand here in front and be like, I'm the biggest one, because yeah. he definitely is, you know, a much bigger fan. But, yeah, Andre 3000, I could listen to his verses, like, poetry. One mm -hmm. verse that, like, literally made me cry was um the Miss Donda, when he's talking about oh, his yeah. ass mom, like, yes. that serious, you know, obviously, I like J. Cole, when he did Snow on the Bluff, mm -hmm. um, Solange, Yes, um, yeah. Um, you know, um, you know, Childish Gambino, Kendrick, um, you know, of course, my old school, my old school top five. Um, you know, and this is not the you know, oh, <laughs> this is a killer, like, he's like, yo, will this be fighting words or no? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, my top five favorite, you know, not necessarily the best, but my top five favorite of all time. Um, Number one for me is Tupac. Okay. No, number two is Nas. Number three is Andre 3000. Number four is Lauren Hill. Um, and number five changes. It could be like Kendrick. It could be Most Death. Um, every now and then, I might even put Ludacris in there. I love Ludacris. Um, and, um, you know, that top five changes based on the day. What what yeah. are, what are your top fives though? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Reggie, you gonna uh, go? <laughs> I, I guess, but okay. And mine, mine this is gonna be, be good. At all, this is I gonna be funny. Let's go. Like, <laughs> a lot of the stuff I'm supposed to heard, you know what I'm saying? But the uh -huh. the top five people who I've listened to like ever, mm -hmm. right? Um, I would have to say Kendrick. Mm -hmm. um, I would have to say. Uh, J. Cole. Mm -hmm. um, I would have to say, I would say Notorious B.I.G. Yeah. No. Um, Can't be I, this is going to be funny because Achilles not going to like this at all. My top five I've ever heard Lil Wayne. Oh, okay. Nice. All right. Okay. All right. All right. And, um, <laughs> you know, Achilles might not like this either. I might throw in Drake in there too, man. Oh, <laughs> you gone and done it now. 
but I, he's, but I he's enjoy his stuff. Listen, you know? Drake, I listen. <laughs> By my standards, Drake stands up. And <laughs> and like I said on that other episode, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna put Drake above Wayne. I'm not mad at it, you know, mm, and I'm mm, also mm, mm. I'm also gonna shout out some 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 female rappers here too. Mm, I mm. like them. Mm. I'm gonna shout out despite everything, and we just talking about art. I'm gonna shout mm. out Nicki Minaj because mm. Minaj okay. be spitting. Mm. Yeah, no, and, she have... and Achilles knows that I have an affinity for this person. Shout out to Meg the Stallion. Yeah, okay. well, all right. Uh, for for just existing. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can and rapping. That. But existing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wasn't bad, man. I mean, I get, I get why Wayne goes in some people's yeah. top fives, you know. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I one of my favorite games to play, uh, with I, I just enjoy playing with this idea of Wayne as a top five artist, right? Mm-hmm. Because I like to, I like to show just how difficult a question it is. And so when you just said ludicrous, one of the things that I've always done is say. Okay, so you feel like Wayne's top five. Does he have a better discography than T.I.? I would even say, mm, mm. does Wayne have a better discography than Ludacris? Because what we, mm. what we don't talk about is when, we, when we're talking about GOATs, what we don't seem, seem, seem to talk about enough right now is longevity, right? And so there's this group of, of rappers that are around when Wayne was really, really popping, and they all have about the same amount of time at the top. Ludacris is one of them. Mm. Is one of them. Mm. Nelly is one of them. Mm. They all had like a maybe three year run where no one was. Yeah, they were. Them. Yeah, you know they were all like Uh-oh. killing it. Yeah, you know. And so I, that question always makes it always just puts people in a different perspective. But I totally get why Wayne is there. So I'll go. Uh, Pop definitely. Um, I think um, there's a really cool rap uh, rapper symbol that I've been paying attention to that's coming up. Who mm. went on and got it, got it flicks about what some stuff he said about Pac? I think people like to say that Pac is overrated because it sounds cute. Um, mm. But Pac definitely. Mm. Um, I'm going Hove. Mm. Uh, I love Nas, but he has issues with uh, with albums. But I just can't yeah. take him out. I just can't take him out because I love him, and he got he got he got the bloodline of my city in him. You know his pops. Old Daros from Natchez. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right off Daisy Street. My, <laughs> I got where his folks come from. I got a long line and history of being there. But um, uh, what am I? I got three right. I got Nas. I said I said Hove. I said Pot. I'm at three. Uh, Lupe Fiasco. Oh uh, yeah, I forgot yeah. about him. yeah yeah Lupe yeah. Fiasco is yeah. is, is bananas. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I had the fifth one in my head when we were talking and it went away. Uh, I said, I said, I, well, so oh, yeah, three three stacks. Let me tell you why, too. You know, what three stacks has done with versus is bananas in terms of his, 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 his like flag in the game, right? Yeah, like, yeah. like, he has a verse that can defeat everyone that I've said. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He has one, you know, like, um, I even think about, um, you know, um, keep your heart three stacks like that song and how yeah, it comes yeah. about, yeah. how that, how that even comes about. He's like, I only do it if I can make it like a marriage. And then he spits mm-hmm. one of the greatest verses of all time, you know, right. That it, the verse is so good. It made everybody else rap better like, <laughs> to, to make this classic song. 
you yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah, three yeah. stacks is unbelievable. And when you when you really break when we, when we really decide to break down who he is as a person uh and what he's done in this game is gonna be phenomenal. Uh so yeah, that would be five women rappers. I'm going Rhapsody. Uh Remy Ma, when Remy Ma first came on the scene, like Remy can outspit a lot of guys. Yeah, yeah. Early. Yeah. I'm talking, I remember the first time I heard Remy Ma spit, she said. She was shooting. She was like, I'm gonna be shooting everything. I'm leaving holes in your um in your air max, right? She was like, I'll blow the <laughs> bubble out the bottom of your air max. I was like, and and Nikki used to spit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I think Early folks Nikki forget was that. yeah. You know, let's you know, smack D commercial Nikki. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. come <laughs> on, you know. So I, I throw Rhapsody in there. Um, and Remy Ma is is was just bananas. Um, you know, in terms of uh women, but Rhapsody, I just love when Rhapsody drops something because her and I, um, it's just always really good music. Mm. And mm. then I'm, I'm sorry, um, I gotta put Jay, I don't know what I was what I was thinking, but uh-huh. I, I tend, yeah, I mean, I, I when I have because see, I tend to think like contemporary, like I had no trouble mentioning Biggie, but for some reason, when I be thinking of like rap I, I think of big before i think of jay like so, mm. sometimes a lot of times now i think of jay more as a business you know mm-hmm. not not nobody yeah yeah me. yeah yeah but i tend to think of him more as a businessman at this point it's kind of like how like when you mentioned ludicrous even i kind of think of him yep. more as like an actor now actor like, yeah, Netflix, yeah 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 you know, he, got that, yep. he yeah. got that movie that came out with queen latifah another person who fits into this category right mm-hmm. and it's like you know he's chris bridges now just like mm-hmm. LL Cool J, right? A lot of people always yep. talk about how dope he was, but I think of him as an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I would probably take out. I probably take out Wayne throwing Jay in my top yeah. five. Only reason I don't put Wayne in, in my top five is uh, I just I, I I think the reason he is who he is for us is is what he did on on the feature side. And we get on the mixtape side. Yeah. If we yeah. really break down these albums, I always say Carter One, Carter Two, Carter Three, and that's it. You know what I mean? We don't people act like he not, never had 500 degrees of lights out, right? And then the slew of these random albums that exist, which he's he's a he's a lot at that, right? But I just don't think those three now. If we if we start talking like albums of all time, I'm putting Carter Two in there. I love Carter uh, Two. Uh, Carter uh. One is amazing. Um, but yeah, I think that might be why. Um, but I know every every Wayne song, so he's a, he's a goat now. Yeah, he's a goat. You know, mm-hmm. I think yeah. Later, Wayne was like he got kind of like a little messy with the content, but mm-hmm. early, yeah. You yeah. Know? And I yeah. could I could I could put ages on you both now. Like I would you you're like early to mid thirties. Mm-hmm. Thirty five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, I'm thirty nine. So yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, with Wayne and, and, and Drake, you know, they're gonna they're gonna appear. They're like uh they're up there. I respect it. I respect yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Word, word. You know, it's even mm-hmm. mind just all the young money, you know what I'm saying? Like they just were so yeah. important to just Young Money is a, yeah, young money is up there. Mm-hmm. I think um I'll say this and I'll shut up, but I think baby and just the management of them is is the reason that you don't get Wayne easily put in that top five. Like if Wayne had a, been allowed to go to Rock Nation and Rockefeller, I think he easily continues what he was creating with Carter too. Mm, um, mm. And you're gonna get probably three, three more albums that are just like, oh, mm. you know. Mm, mm. Mm. Uh, 
TV and or film that you've been watching and enjoying? Oh, okay. My um, TV and film, it's, it's real trashy. It's real trashy. <laughs> it's yeah. like selling Sunset, selling the OC. <laughs> um, yeah. It's like true crime. Like okay. for a while, I was, I was watching um, Deadly Woman. It's just true episodes of Women Who Kill. Don't ask me why I've been fascinated <laughs> about that show. Um, but also like, um, uh, you know, I was a big fan of, um, um, Jesus and Mero. Um, you know, I was, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I watched the shop LeBron, um, and, and whatnot. Um, you know, I've seen in terms of like, um, you know, drama series, you know, definitely uh, Breaking Bad when it was on, um, you know, I'll Catch yeah. Atlanta when it, it's on. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big Issa Rae fan, so, yeah, you know, it's a um, yeah. You know, um, Mad yeah. Men when it was on, Entourage, yeah. which Entourage used to come on right after The Wire. And I don't yeah. know how it pulled it off, but <laughs> and I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna say Entourage was as good as The Wire, but it was it was cool to to watch it back to back, you know, The Wire and yeah. then Entourage and whatnot. But yeah, yeah mostly mostly um, uh, my TV watching is just like a pure escape, right? <laughs> all all good. It's a safe space here. Um, and and you even mentioned one of the ones I that I most recently watched was Atlanta. Um, mm, so they're mm. back to season four now. Oh, um, yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah. A book you've been reading and enjoying. Um, the last. Well, right now I'm reading um, the Violin Conspiracy. Yeah, this guy. Yeah. Um, Brendan's, I want to say slope. You try, slope? you try to find the strand, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah. I, you know, I'm not supposed to be like being on a panel with him in in yeah. North Carolina, so I was like, let me check out the book. And it was a book that I wouldn't have normally like sought out on my own, but yeah. I was like, wow, all right, I'm in it, I'm in it. <laughs> I'm in it. <laughs> <laughs> Never thought I would think the violins, but I'm in it. Um, listening yeah. that. and um i know y'all had as a guest um chantal v johnson yeah man a friend of mine mm-hmm. like i love that book i love that mm-hmm. book yeah yeah um, so yeah you know i think the wonderful thing about this all is just like discovering new books and just adding new things to the reading list which you, you all remind me because like every episode i like um you know Make you all making great points, great questions, great discussion, and then also between questions, I'm like squinting at the um at your bookshelves. And I'm like, <laughs> Let me see, is there like a couple of titles on that bookshelf that you would like recommend? Um, yeah. yeah, you know, because I'm I'm always trying to put some new things on my 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 reading list. Man, Ann Petrie, Tony Cave, and Barra. Uh, those are always like the two that we just we we used to talk about them a lot, and it's high time. I've been meaning to tell Rich, it's high time we get into Country Place. Uh, yes, it is by Ann Petrie. Um, mm. but I just just think about those two uh women in particular, uh, and how we have just kind of like championed their work. Um, I, I she has a I've been thinking about um transnational uh like uh 
issues. And that's, I, I want to read Tony K. Bars, I think Seabirds. Um, and I have it. I just haven't gotten to it. But those are two that just off the top. Like, I know we both got back here. Everything mm. that Ann Petrie got and uh, everything that Tony K. Bombara has. That's yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, I, I know, you know, just from following Sadiq on Goodreads, he's like Mr. Black Canyon. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So, <laughs> so I, mm-hmm. I know I could throw these names out, but he probably read most of the work. So, of course, Morrison is my favorite. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know you've read this. I'm, uh, yeah, I know you've read this. I remember your six-word review on it. Mm-hmm. But uh, Brewster Place, I like how – Oh, yeah. Blueprint for what you know what I was trying to do. Are you mm-hmm. Exactly, mm-hmm. like even from the name starting with a B and everything, right? I was like, okay, I I, I see what Sadiq is on, and I like mm-hmm. it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. um, so yeah. you know, of course, Gloria Naylor, um, and I, I'm I mean, I should name someone like even uh, uh, Jamel Brinkley, a lucky man. Yeah, mm-hmm. fire, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then of course, since uh, since we're talking stories, got mentioned Nafisa. Times the spot as well, yeah, yeah. and to the color people, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So that's just like some of the stuff, but I mean, we could be here all day, all night for real. Like anytime <laughs> you want to, you know, anytime, anytime you want to talk about books, I'm, I'm available. Yeah, that's what's up. Uh, that's what's up. Cool. Um, an author whose work you wish was read, discussed, and or taught more. Mm. All right, let me think about this. Um. I mean, the author back in the day from, like, I want to say early 1900s, this dude, Ring Lardner, who mm. was, just, yeah, just, like, in terms of American dialect, the, the American voice, he just captures it. He has this story called Haircut, and it's told, like, perspective of a barber, and he's just, like, telling a story about something tragic that happened in the community, but it's so full of like humor and voice. I wish more people um, read him. Hmm. And then also, I think even before like the original like person of color for in terms of voice was um, Charles Chestnut. um, From like, I want to say he was writing like in 1800s and whatnot. And he was doing like a lot of what like Zora Neale Hurston was doing before Zora Neale. Um, And so that's somebody who I wish was, was studied more as well. Um, But yeah, I'll put those two, two names, two names. Thank you for the introduction to ring Lautner. Lautner, Mm -hmm. I had never heard of, uh, of him. I'm actually seeing like selected stories and stories and other writings. So uh, thank you for that introduction. Mm -hmm. Definitely Mm -hmm. Charles Chester. That's our name. Um, we hear often, but I have several mm. of his books. Uh, oh, nice. I know, nice. I know uh, what, The Moral Tradition, mm. um, or I think that's the name of it. And then there's like uh, like something about his wife and other stories. Like, mm. yeah, like, I have like two or three of his books. I just haven't read anything yet. Right, right, um, right. Yeah, I need to read more of myself um, of him, but yeah. A, a book that you wish was read, discussed, and or taught more. Mm. All right. Well, I almost want to even go to my Goodreads list right here. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Since we're on the uh, 
the gentrification tip. All right, two books. What they both will never be taught because they're super dense and one super big. Um, the first one, Life and Death of American Cities mm. by Jane Jacobs. Um, and she just talks about how just the design of a city can influence the behavior of a city. So mm. putting um, like putting a park right across the street from stores and residences could literally um, either prevent crime or enhance crime by just the fact that like, if there is no park and there's a bunch of residences and stores, there's no place for people to congregate and people tend to congregate in mischievous ways. But then if you put a park and you make it like too big at night, it becomes this like menacing place. So you put just the whole, like she just talks about just the blueprint of like, um, of cities and how they're created. Another book where I think it could like literally be the greatest Netflix series, but it's just too big. And I don't really usually read like big book books like that, but The Power Broker by Robert Carroll. Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah I know about that, yeah. Yo, uh -huh. this uh -huh. is so much scandal. Like I could never look at New York City the same ever again because this dude was the most powerful dude in New York City, but then his ego created like a lot of the problems that New York City has. So his thing was like, he went from building parks, then he started building highways. And every time he built a highway, people were like, you know what? You should like really just build more public transit and not highways. You need more public transit. That's the only thing that's gonna alleviate traffic. And he's like, no, no, these highways are going to do it. These highways kept building highways. And like every time he built it, he would be like, oh, it's going to alleviate traffic. But then it just multiply. So anytime I'm in a traffic jam in New York City, like I think of this, <laughs> this dude, Robert Moses, and like the decisions that he made. Um, and th that book also taught me that like um, that you don't have to be the president or the governor to have power. Oh, yes. That, that's a that's a very popular topic here in BAPC. Like, mm, that's a bar. Mm. Like, I'm over here muted. I'm like, that's a bar. Yeah. That's a bar. Yeah. <laughs> this that's dude the... was more powerful than Roosevelt. Yo, this crazy. Mm -hmm. But nah, nah. I hear you on that theme. I second yeah. that theme. Yeah, nah. Uh, Robert Moses. Yeah, I actually I don't know if I still had it, but. I know I had a paperback version of that book. It's like thirteen hundred pages. What you talking mm. about? Power broker. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's it's one day maybe if I ever get brave enough, you know. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. The uh, I'll ask you this. This is uh, yeah. special for you. Mm. The next book you plan on rereading? Oh, I had my eye on Invisible Man. I had my eye on that. Um, also. Um, Life of Pi, because I'm really like really fascinated. Because what I remember of that book is um 
it takes place on a boat and it's just one person and a tiger. And I remember being mm-hmm. so enthralled in the book. It was so engrossing. And I always ask myself this question every now and then, like, how was he able to make a story that just takes place on the boat and it's just one person and a tiger? Although tigers can be very dangerous. But to mm-hmm. sustain that for a whole book, like, I'm going to reread it and see what he did to, like, keep the, keep the attention there. Yeah. That's yeah. a crazy book. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a book that I want to read. I hadn't read it, but I watched the movie, and and what actually, or at least the way I perceived it, what actually like occurs is crazy mm. in terms of what it's supposed to like suggest, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I want to read it to be sure that I saw what I thought I saw. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and so yeah, that's 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 one of them ones. Yeah, tell us who you would like to see as a guest on books of pop culture but this person has to be someone who you would be willing to help us connect with in the event we may need some help getting connected oh okay all right well it's cool you had jonathan on because i like you know before both both of our books came out we were on a panel at awp and Mm. then just to like be on a panel with him and then just to see the success like that would be the first name, but you already got him. So kudos yeah. to you. Um, and then you got Chantal. <laughs> um, so I, all right. So I'm going to say this is like long, long term. Cause these people haven't had like, um, they haven't had books come out yet, but it's just only a matter of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kim Coleman foot. She has like, she just got a two book deal. So it's going to be like probably within the next six months, you probably start seeing her name. She's mm-hmm. a good person, a person who's published um, like a few really, really good short stories. And it's only a matter of time before they get to like a collection it is one of my good friends, um, Gabe Lewis, Gabriel mm-hmm. Lewis. Um, again, it's only a matter of time before you start seeing his name. Um, in terms of people who are um, who are out, you know what? Um, I'm not. Am I pronouncing her name? Dantil Moniz. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm about to go to this festival in Chicago, semicolon, and I'm supposed to be in conversation with her. Wow. Um, and so she seems like a person who would be dope for this podcast so like i will you know if she if she's down i will i'll drop your name um and i think she's a good guest but any of those three names like you know the long-term names you you'll see and we'll you know we'll be in contact with email so when these people come out i'll just like shoot you an email but um definitely don teal moniz um um you know i'll definitely She's she's she should be she should be on the show. Word, word. Uh do you speak the the native language of Sierra Leone or um no not very well. So okay. like, all right. So um so the official language in Sierra Leone is like you know it's English, but then it's mm-hmm. like Creole. It's Creole, like a broken okay. English. Mm-hmm. And the way I would describe Creole is like any Afrobeat song you heard on the radio, that's basically Creole. Like, yeah. you know, um, when they say, I beg, I they come, you know, like, um, 
things like that. It's just it's just a, a like a, a broken down um, yeah. version of um, of English, but it's like a Creole. It's got it's got flavor in it. She has um, sent she had sent a twenty second uh, I, I think sentence in Creole, and she wanted me to play it for you, Isita. Oh, play it, and I'll translate it. You know, play right, it, I'll play it, play it. Mr. Fofana, I glad you for waiting, right? I tell God thank you for your talent. We know about Kuna this community, but I glad you are to see plenty Salomon, not so you know more. I mean, that's a fauna, Namina fauna, Una all, Una the is we country, and I enjoy Una. I glad you for it, Una they do. May Una continue by God in power. That's oh man, that touched my heart. You know, you hear that? That touched my heart. That's love. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, she's basically saying I'm happy for you. You know, um, people like us in our community. You know, you lift in our community. Um, writers like Aminata Forna. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're just she's making us making us proud, and um, you know, she's going to continue to pray and ask blessings for us so it's a very very beautiful very beautiful language very beautiful language yeah. or uh language that my parents speak and that I've, I've i've um you know heard throughout throughout growing up and it always mm -hmm. brings music to my ears so i said yeah. thank you for that yes that's right. love that's love mm -hmm. like i'm mm -hmm. so glad that, that we got to do this that's that's, that's the mm -hmm. stuff that makes mm -hmm. this show mm -hmm. Everything. Right, right, right. And um, before we let you go as well, and ask the yeah. final, final question, I wanted to share six-word review with you. Um, oh, yeah. Stories from the tenant downstairs. <laughs> Let's go. Right? Um, so, my six-word review is Banneker Terrace: colon, Monumental like Brewster Place. You shook me. You froze me <laughs> with that because I never thought like, oh, a six word review could be used to describe my work. Not until yeah. that very moment. So, <laughs> wow. I yes. That. That's cool. I've got the neighborhood is breathing because colon people. Woo! Yo, that's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. Hey, that's, man. Oh my god! I'm like, wow. Again, you know, publishing is it's it's a it's a roller coaster. It's a roller coaster. It's highs and lows. But just to hear that, um, and to hear like a concise like six word review, and I'm thinking of all the years where, you know. I've try to do it for other books that likes really special. It's really, it really moves me. Really moves me. Appreciate love, it. Love. Hey, no doubt, brother. Hey man, you know, a little, little something we can do to give you your flowers. You know what I'm saying? What's up? That's what's so, up. Appreciate um, it. Appreciate no doubt, it. man. And, uh, the, you know, the final and the, the easiest question on them all, um, you know, uh, tell us what you can share about what's next and mm. the best place that, uh, people can go to, you know, follow your journey. Um, you know, I have a website up, you know, um, and, you know, it's 
try to update it regularly, but it might not be updated like regular, regular. Um, but as for next, you know, I want to say like a novel because everyone, you know, says like the next thing is a novel after a short story. But honestly, I don't have any ideas. I don't. Um, I want. I I do want to write more short stories, and I think like and I take my students and it kind of like one time someone asked like you know you think oh this is accessible for your students and it's a subject matter and I said in my you know like just to be polite I was just like yeah I could see my students reading this but in all honesty my my students like like you know Rick Reardon and like oh um, yeah you yeah. know like mm -hmm. they like manga and anime and stuff like that and so I always thought of like what I was writing was like I'm writing about them and now my next project would be like writing for for them in a way um mm -hmm. now I don't know what the subject matter is but I do know like it's going to be like shorter bits um and it might not be taking place in a place like Banneker Terrace but um, you know, little slices of life. I think of a story that uh, students really resonate with, and I always mention this story. Um, Thank you, ma'am, by Langston Hughes. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you know, yeah. as a teacher, like mm -hmm. that's just a classic. And yeah. I'm not gonna sit here and be like, I want to write a thank you, man, because I already know it's impossible. It's impossible. But the idea of like that really short slice of life that like you know is manageable enough for students to 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 read through um so my short answer is it's not a novel but shorter short stories yeah yeah right. have you read gorilla my love yeah yeah see yeah, like yeah, yeah. yeah a story mm -hmm. like raymond's run mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. like I'm always yeah. fascinated, like that catches students' attention, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I used to teach the one where the where the I think it's the teacher she takes them downtown, and that's the, yeah. They love that one. Yeah, they love that yeah. One. yeah. I had high school students, but they, yeah, they love that. Yeah. Man. So, y'all, please get your copy of Absolutely. "Story from the Dentist" yeah. from the dentist downstairs yeah. Yeah. Um, immediately. Um, preferably, you know, since you listen to us, preferably from the Books of Pop Culture Bookshop, which can be found mm -hmm. at bookshop.org slash shop slash books of pop culture. Um, for Sadiq Fofana, Killing Missouri, I'm Reggie Bailey. This has been another edition of Books of Pop Culture. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon. Peace. Okay.